Happy Monday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Mean Event. It was an action-packed week in the mixed martial arts world. We had one on TNT, three, Lineker versus Worthen, and then you had the return of the live crowd, UFC 261, Usman Masvidal 2, and Anthony Pettis made his debut in the PFL this weekend as well. It's a very action-packed week, and we've got some fights to look forward to this week as well, so let's go ahead and get right into it. And let's start with a little bit of interesting news in the middleweight division. So Marvin Vittori and Israel Adesanya is officially confirmed for UFC 263, the rematch. And it is for the title to be the main event and the co-main event, the rematch between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueredo. So, <clears throat> you know, with Marvin Vittori getting the title shot... Um, so it's it's kind of an interesting thing because I think when you look at as far as Izzy's competition goes, you know, they had a split decision. So, I mean, you could argue the rematch is warranted on that alone from the, the split decision they had a few years ago. But looking at his body of work, um, you know, I don't believe that Vittori has, has earned this title shot yet. You know, his, uh, his biggest win, Jack Hermanson uh, on short notice, which is impressive, but, you know, Jack Hermanson was 1-1 one one in his last two at that point. Uh, had a submission, went over Kelvin Gaslam before that, got TKO'd by Jared Cannonier. Jared Cannonier, who was defeated by Robert Whitaker this, uh, this past fall on the uh, <clears throat> Khabib and Gaethje card. So, you know, and then he had the, the win over Kevin Holland coming off the loss to Derek Brunson and beat him in the exact same uh, fashion that Derek Brunson beat him, you know, just nonstop takedowns. So in that respect, you know, uh, the title shot to me just doesn't feel warranted. However, um, you know, Robert Whitaker said they offered him the fight as soon as the Kelvin Gastelum fight was over, and they offered it for him in June, and he said that, you know, that just was not possible for him. He does have some injuries from the training camp and from the fight. He has a two-week quarantine as soon as he gets back to Australia, and then that would give him a four-week training camp to get ready for Adesanya. Um, and that's if he's able to train full-fledged after this fight. And, you know, I, I completely agree. I, I think that's a little unreasonable. So in that respect, you know, if Adesanya wants to fight, you know, you look at the other top five, you, you can't give Paulo Costa another title shot. Uh, Darren Till's injured. Jared Cannonier's coming off the loss to Robert Whitaker. You know, there's there's not a lot of other guys really available. You know, Derek Brunson, um, you know, he did have that big win over Kevin Holland, but um, his his loss to Israel Adesanya a few years ago was a, a first-round TKO, and even in the win to Derek Brunson, and, and, sorry, even in the win to Kevin Holland, uh, Brunson did get tagged at a few points um so it's it's kind of hard to sell that rematch quite yet i would say um he also hasn't been screaming from the rooftops for it like marvin vittori has been so you know marvin vittori is is, is going to be the next guy up if you're looking for someone to fight for the title now does that mean he deserves it not necessarily. I think he's knocking on the door, but you know what? I uh, Best of luck to Marvin Vittori in this rematch with Israel Adesanya. It is very possible he can prove me wrong. You know, they, they had a very close fight the last time around. Obviously, Adesanya's approved a lot since then, but so has Marvin Vittori. And Marvin Vittori coming in with the same game plan that he did against Kevin Holland could make this fight very interesting because if you watch that Jan Blahovic fight... Um, you know, one thing that you'll see is once Adesanya got taken down, you know, <clears throat> he, uh, he he couldn't really get up off his back. Now, granted, Jan Blahovic is a much larger fighter than him, and he's much larger than Marvin Vittori, but you could still make the argument that Vittori, you know, he's pretty stocky, pretty big middleweight. You know, he could arguably still have the strength to hold Adesanya down uh, if he's to get him there. So I, I do believe that'd probably be the smart strategy for Marvin Vittori, you know, I'm sure, you know, his pride and his ego, he's going to want to engage in a stand-up battle, but <clears throat> if Marvin Vittori goes out there and, and fights smart and uses his grappling and, and can get Adesanya down, you know, this this is an interesting fight. So I, I don't want me saying that um, Marvin Vittori hasn't quite earned a title shot yet to say that he doesn't have a chance of winning this either. Marvin Vittori has had a fantastic chance of winning this fight, and I am looking forward to it, you know. 
Um, nobody should be writing Israel Adesanya off based off of his last loss. And Adesanya is going to be coming out with a point to prove after that loss to Jan Blachowicz. But Marvin Vittori is coming out with a point to prove too. You know, he's said for years he felt like he won that fight with Adesanya. And he's maintained that, and he believes he is the guy that can beat Adesanya. He's going out there to prove it. He believes he's the best middleweight in the world, and he's going out to prove it. This is going to be a very fun fight. Um, I think Vittori is going to push Adesanya to the limit. I think that Adesanya is going to come in in very, very great form. I, I think he is, you know going to be motivated coming off of that loss to come back and make a statement in his division, you know, because people are writing him off right now, and, you know, that's one thing. Adesanya has had, you know, a lot of haters from the beginning, so he, he likes to go out and prove them wrong, and, you know, now is going to be a great time to do it. He's going to be very motivated to do it because people are basically saying he got exposed, <clears throat> and he's not going to be a world champion much longer. He's, he's going to come out and try and prove them wrong, so... You know, Vittori and Adesanya, they know each other. They're both motivated. This is going to be a fantastic fight. I really look forward to it. Robert Whitaker will be fighting the winner. That has been confirmed to us. Um, I, I don't see how else you could give it to him. You know, it's it's interesting with <clears throat> Whitaker and Adesanya because, you know, Adesanya wanted Darren Till. He was calling for Darren Till. Uh, Darren Till and Robert Whitaker fought. Whitaker beat Darren Till. Um, you know... Then Adesanya started calling for Jared Canyonier. He said, Jared Canyonier, get past Whitaker so we can fight. You know, he wanted Jared Canyonier next. Robert Whitaker handled Jared Canyonier for three rounds and nearly finished him. So, you know, everybody that Adesanya has wanted to fight, Whitaker's gone in and taken them out for him. Um, <clears throat> you know, and then he just put on one of the best performances of his entire career against Kelvin Gaslam. Five rounds, nothing. He looked so sharp in that fight. And that's another thing he used in that fight was his wrestling. Um, you know, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Not a lot of people know that. Robert Whitaker is good on the ground. So, you know, he poses some threats to Adesanya if he decides to use his wrestling this time around. The rematch could be completely different. I believe <clears throat> Whitaker didn't show it in the first fight, but he does have the tools to beat Israel Adesanya. I believe Marvin Vittori has the tools to beat Israel Adesanya, you know. <clears throat> do they pull it off? I'm not 100% sure. Time is only going to tell on that. But middleweight division is going to be very interesting, and I'm definitely looking forward to UFC 263. Now, uh, before we get into UFC 261 and one on TNT3, um, I want to talk about a few other things. So let's talk about uh, PFL. So I was not able to watch the entire event. I will admit that to you. However, I did watch the highlights from the main event. Um... I saw Lance Palmer lost, uh, which is a huge blow to PFL. You know, he's been one of the faces of PFL, so I think that was surprising to them to have that happen. But Anthony Pettis, kind of the new face of PFL, goes in in his debut against Clay Collard, who uh, has taken a break from his boxing career. You know, former, you know, I believe he was on The Ultimate Fighter once. If, if memory serves me right, I know I know his name from before the PFL, and now I'm going to feel goofy for not remembering exactly why. So I want to say Clay Collard may have been on the Ultimate Fighter. He so he did compete in the UFC. Um, so no, he he did not fight on the Ultimate Fighter. He made his UFC debut against Max Holloway. That's right. So you know he he didn't have the most successful UFC career. You know he went uh, he went one and three in the UFC. Um, and didn't really lose to, to big-name guys other than Max Holloway, and that was uh, a few years before Max Holloway got big. You know, he has a win over Justin Buckles by a split decision, uh, team alpha male trainer. Um, <clears throat> also has a guillotine choke loss to him. So, you know, he had some losses, and uh, his last MMA fight before uh, last this past weekend was actually uh, – just uh, two years and four days before it. So April 19th, 2019 was his last MMA fight. Switched over to boxing um, and then, you know, comes in and fights Anthony Pettis in the PFL. And, you know, a lot of people were writing him off. Oh, this is an easy fight for Pettis. Clay Collard put hit on Pettis for two rounds, dropped him, put him down, beat him up. 
uh, just absolutely amazing performance from you know the, just the little bit that I saw. I was just absolutely blown away. And then in the third round, Pettis throws a high kick and almost knocks him out. Follows it up with a flying knee. Pettis almost took him out. And, and Collard was exhausted in that third round. I really would have been interested to see what could have happened if that went on for five rounds because Pettis really started putting it on in that third round. Um, had that fight gone, you know, five rounds, it, it could have been a completely different result. It, it's hard to say, but impressive win for Clay Collard to start off the uh, the season for PFL. Hopefully Pettis can rebound. You know, this has been the <clears throat> unfortunate story of his career for a long time. Pretty much ever since he lost to Dos Anjos, you know, he'll win some, he'll lose some. He'll win some, he'll lose some. He's never really able to string wins together. It's just been the unfortunate career of Anthony Pettis, and it looks like it's going to continue in the PFL. Hopefully things can improve, but, uh, you know, in an action-packed fight for his PFL debut, I, I, you can't get the win, but if you're not going to get the win, you can't ask for much more. I'll say that much. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, Dana White came out and said, yeah, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou is probably next. And he said it's probably next because John Jones was asking for $30 million guaranteed. So that's not including pay-per-view points. That's not including a win bonus, any of that. Uh, and, you know, he said that is just a ridiculous amount of money. There, There's no way you've got to consider, you know, all the different factors that go into paying fighters for a fight. You know, the fighters get, a, you know, their own share. So giving John Jones $30 million takes away from what everybody else is going to earn this and that. Uh, you know what? And you know what? That's understandable. You know, I did a breakdown the other week about how much Jones has brought in for the UFC, and you know what I, I think realistically he could expect from them. I do believe like 10, 15 million, like the the McGregor Khabib range, I think would be realistic for him. Uh, you know, I don't think Dana realistically pays his fighters as well as he'll pretend he does. Um, so I'm I'm definitely not going to completely stand up for Dana White in that regard. But when I heard 30 million, I was like, mm, that's a bit ridiculous. But then John Jones came out and said, Hey, uh, Dana, uh, I never mentioned the number 30 million to you or Hunter, so I would love to know who you guys talk to. I've never asked for that much money, and that's not what I'm asking for. So John Jones comes out and goes, No, no, Dana White's lying. Um, now. You know, a lot of people are going to have their different takes on this. My thought on the matter is, you know, it's I, we're not, we're not in that negotiating room. We don't know who's telling the truth. To me, you know, it's it's hard to say that Dana White's fully lying because John Jones said ten million dollars would not be enough for him. So you know, if if ten million dollars isn't going to be enough for him, is it really unrealistic to believe that he asked for something like thirty million? Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he did just ask for that 15 million number that I mentioned. Maybe he asked for 20, 25. I don't know. Maybe he asked for more than 30. Maybe maybe Dana is actually lowballing the number he offered. I, I don't know. But <clears throat> if if John Jones did not ask for that much, then it, it does get very interesting that Dana White is so willing to move on from one of the biggest fights that the UFC could make, which is Ngannou versus John Jones. You know, Lewis versus Ngannou is a fantastic fight this time around, I believe. You know, and it'll sell like hotcakes despite how boring the first fight was. Um, just based off of what these two have done since. It's going to make people more excited to watch it. I think it's going to be a different fight this time around. But if you compare the excitement for that, compared to the excitement for Jones and Ngannou, people have been excited for Jones and Ngannou since this time last year when they started calling each other out. You know, um, and that was before Ngannou was a champion. That was before people knew whether or not Ngannou could beat Miocic in the second fight. The people have been excited for it since then. It's one of the biggest fights the UFC can put on, if not the biggest fight the UFC can put on, you know. Um, <clears throat> I don't believe McGregor Poirier, even with all this drama behind it, is one of the bigger fights you can make. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are already writing that fight off. I, I think a lot of people just aren't as interested in it just based off how that last fight went and how... Long McGregor's honestly been out when it comes to the UFC, and you know how much Poirier's been putting in work. It's it's just hard to really get as excited for that fight. You know, you just had the Blahovich and Adesanya fight, so Adesanya and Jones is off the table, especially with Jones going up to heavyweight. Uh, you know, it's not like 
uh, Kamara Usman and Israel Adesanya are going to fight. So, you know, there's just not a lot of big fights right now in the UFC as far as big names that are just going to sell like hotcakes, you know. I don't see why you don't strap a rocket ship to that and make something work with John Jones. I feel like you have to. I understand that the organization constantly builds new stars and it constantly, you know, continues getting bigger and better and it doesn't need one particular fighter. But to not put this fight together is just a shame. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully we, we get a resolution to that. I, I will predict for you that we are still going to be seeing Ngannou versus Lewis by the end of the year, and then hopefully after that we will see John Jones against the winner. I, I can respect if you take money out of it saying, you know, Derek Lewis is a true heavyweight and he's earned his title shot. If you present it to me in that argument, then I would agree with Derek Lewis being getting the title shot over John Jones. Um, but... If you're going to say it's just because of, of money, then I say, you know, why don't you actually try negotiating with John? Uh, which obviously we're not in the go negotiation room. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, now we're going to move on. So, one on TNT3. I want to talk about that first. So, one on TNT3. Uh, Worthen versus Lineker. What an exciting night. This was, a, if you have not started watching one championship yet, you are missing out. And this Wednesday, one on TNT4 is going to be, and I will talk about that here in a little bit, is going to be the last one on TNT card uh, for a while. So it's going to be the last chance to for the American audience to watch it uh, at night on TNT. So make sure you tune into that on Wednesday, one on TNT4. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a very fun night of fights. You've got the light heavyweight championship on the line, and uh, Eddie Alvarez will be fighting again. So make sure you tune in. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But <clears throat> one on TNT3. So the night started off with a legendary uh, contest. You had Nikki Holskin versus John Wayne Parr. Fight, a Muay Thai fight. People have been talking about for a long time. You know, John Wayne Parr. Thought he was going to have to retire last year. You know, got his, got his hip replaced. Um, <clears throat> you know, this is a man who has had, you know, 14 professional boxing matches, 133 total kickboxing fights. You know, like, this this is a man who's who's fought a lot. You know, he, he retired after his, uh, his fight at Ryzen in 2019 where he lost by split decision. Comes back to fight Nicky Holskin, who's regarded as one of the you know, best guys in the world at his weight class, uh, 94 and 16 and one and one no contest, um, coming into this night, you know, he's, he's one of the better kickboxer and Muay Thai fighters in the world. So this is, this is a very, very fun matchup and it's a, a legendary fight that people have been talking about for years. So we finally got it and boy, did it deliver, you know, Nikki Holskin is just absolutely incredible, you know, knocks him down in the first round with a spinning wheel kick, John Lane Park keeps coming forward, those those body shots, you know, swinging power punches, Holskin's just putting him on and ends up putting him out with a vicious head kick. Uh, you know, so fantastic win for Nikki Holskin, it was awesome to see John Wayne Parr back in there, but man, just so excited we got to see that fight, you know, obviously John Wayne Parr, um, just maybe wasn't at the level of Nicky Holskin at this point in his career, but my lord, was that a fun fight while it lasted. Uh, then you had the uh, the rematch with uh, Miao Li Tao and Ryoto Sawada. So these two fought before, and uh, Sawada won with his grappling. So the, the big talk was that, and this was a strawweight fight So uh, for the men, so that'd be 125 pounds uh, in one championship. So these two fought before, and Sawada used his wrestling and his grappling to control the fight. And, you know, the, the talk on this one was hopefully Miao Tao has improved his takedown defense and his ability to get back up. Uh, and Miao Tao not only did that, but he won this fight, and he won it with his grappling. It was absolutely incredible. You know, this fight starts, and they're talking about, I hope Miao Tao is... You know, he's, he's got to have improved his takedown defense. He's, he's got to keep this fight standing. He's got to do this and that. And while he was winning the standing, you know, they would end up in these scrambles. And this fight was just wild. If you haven't watched it yet, go and watch it. It was just a scramble from start to finish. But Miao Li Tao was controlling the grappling. You know, he's getting to side control. And he's just holding him there. And hitting him with knees, punches, you know, controlling him on the ground. And uh, Sawada, you could tell, was extremely frustrated. It was just crazy to me, you know, this... This is somebody who truly took the mantra of you either win or you learn. And he learned from his loss 
to Sawada and then came back and beat him in the same fashion. Like, I can't speak enough to how much I enjoyed that fight. Uh, I became a fan of both of them, but Maui Tao made me a big fan. I'm going to have to tune in and, uh, next time he fights in one championship. It was an absolutely fun fight. If you haven't yet, go and watch that fight. So next was the lightweight fight on the, to close out the prelims, and it was Akre Yoon versus Marat Gavarov. So Marat Gavarov, former uh, featherweight champion in uh, one championship, now at lightweight, and uh, you know he's, he had a loss to Yuri Lapicus. You know he's a very heavy grappling fighter, and it was said before the fight the winner was going to be fighting this Wednesday um, against Eddie Alvarez. So the winner gets Eddie Alvarez. So you know the winner not only will be on the main card on one on TNT four, but they're going to fight a former UFC champion and a name that American fans know. This is a chance to make a name for yourself, something that Yuri Lapicus did not achieve. He made a name for himself in the worst possible way. So. <clears throat> You know, Murat Gavarov starts this fight off. He ends up getting to uh, Akure Yoon's back and just rides him like a backpack. Puts the body triangle on from the standing position. And it's just a backpack on Akure Yoon for the entire round. And the commentator started saying, you know, Rich Franklin said, the one thing that this will do is his ankle might just give out when he stands up. You know, it's that's a lot of pressure to be putting on your own ankle for that long because he's holding it on the foot, not on the ankle. He's really stretching that ankle out. And, uh... He's going to be exhausting himself. As much as Akre Yoon is going to be tired from carrying his weight, he's really going to be exhausting himself doing this. And uh, he he was walking gingerly back to the corner, and he looked exhausted. Um, you know, the rest of the fight, when they were at range, Akre Yoon was picking him apart. Murat Gavrov, you know, manages to take him down in the second round. But Akre Yoon is throwing up triangle chokes. He's hitting him with strikes from the bottom. You know, he nearly got two triangles. Is elbowing him from the bottom. He's punching him from the bottom. So Murat Gavarov has top position, but he's doing nothing. He's getting, he's getting beat up after getting this takedown. Uh, I was really impressed with Akre Yoon in that round, and then in the third round, Akre Yoon really is just picking him apart, standing, just landing crisp one-two combos. He's got Murat Gavarov on the fence, and he's just lighting him up. And one thing to note about one championship is they score the fights as a whole. They don't do the 10-9 must system per round. So the entire 15 minutes is scored as one fight. So it's who did the most damage and who did the best in all areas throughout the entire fight. So Akra Yoon, you know, picking him apart on the feet, ends up getting taken down again. But it's the same thing, you know, he's beating him up from his back. He's he's the one actually fighting. Murat Gavarov is just trying to hold on, get the decision win. Um, I really was not impressed with Murat. And, you know, and, and I feel like in American judging, Murat Gavarov probably would have won that fight. Uh, but he lost that fight. Um, he, you know, he got takedowns, but it, it wasn't effective grappling. The effective grappling was by Akre Yoon, who is landing effective striking from his back. He's going for submission attempts. Uh, Murat Gavarov is taking him down, laying on him, and trying to survive. You know, not to say he didn't throw any ground and pound, but Akre Yoon gets a decision win. Very, very deserved decision win. You know, Murat Gavarov got some takedowns, but that was about all he did in that fight. He did not look impressive. He gassed out very quickly. Um, I don't believe he would have done well with Eddie Alvarez. Now, I will say, if Akra Yoon is in this position with Eddie Alvarez where he's getting taken down, he's going to be getting beat up. So this Wednesday, I would still imagine Eddie Alvarez will probably be winning this fight against Akra Yoon. Uh, but great win for Akra Yoon. So moving on to the main card, we had Yuya Wakamatsu versus uh, Reese McLaren. So Reese McLaren actually pushed Bibiano Fernandez to the limits up at Bantamweight. Now he's back down at flyweight. Yuya Wakamatsu was uh, Demetrius Johnson's debut opponent in one championship. Actually rocked Demetrius in the first round, but ended up getting caught with a guillotine in the second round. And, uh, man, Yuya Wakamatsu, absolutely impressive in this fight. Uh, you know, it was it was another uh, lighter weight class fight where there's a lot of scrambling. Really good... Uh, Fighting on the feet by Yuya Wakamatsu. Reese McLaren, you know, really gassed out by that third round. Didn't have a lot left. And Wakamatsu just controlled him on the ground, on the feet. You know, the, the thought going into this was that Reese McLaren has the advantage on the ground. Wakamatsu has the advantage on the feet. Yuya had the advantage everywhere this fight went. You know, when they did get to the ground, you know, Reese McLaren did initiate some of it. But Yuya was taking him down. Yuya was getting... Uh, uh, to the better positions. 
if he was in a bad position, he was scrambling out of it. And, and Reese McLaren was scrambling too. This was just a wild fight, another fight. If you've not watched it, go and watch it. Uh, but great win for Yuya Wakamatsu. I could very easily see them uh, putting him in there with Adriana Moraes next. Uh, I'm not sure if that will be the case, but I, I, I would predict for you that could possibly happen. Um, Cardio-wise, I'm not sure, but I could potentially see Reese McLaren versus Demetrius Johnson coming next. You know, I think after that loss to Adriana Moraes, Demetrius is going to have to do a little bit of rebounding to earn a rematch. He, um, it wasn't that close of a fight, so it's going to take him some time to earn a rematch, even as big of a name as Demetrius is, so I like the idea of him and Reese McLaren next. Um, you know, Reese McLaren was number five heading into this fight, so he'll still be fighting a top five, top ten guy. <clears throat> So the main event was John Lineker and Troy Worthen. And, you know, I'm sure American fans are familiar with John Lineker. Troy Worthen, you know, is a, is a wrestler. Um, and John Lineker came out fighting like John Lineker does, just swinging heavy leather right from the get-go. Um, a lot of wild looping punches like he always does. Coming to the body, going to the head, going to the body, going to the head. You know, Worthen landed a few uh, straight punches. Couldn't get really any takedowns going for him. But... <clears throat> Lineker just swinging for the home run right from the gate. Landed a few good shots, and, and Wortham was taking him right on the chin, and he's just looping these wild hooks like always. And then Lineker throws the a straight right. First straight right hand I saw him throw in the entire fight. And he puts Troy Wortham down. Puts him down, falls up with some ground and pound shots, and he is out cold. Another fight I'd recommend you go watch. John Lineker is just absolutely wild. I think there's nobody... I put him in there with Bibiano Fernandez. I think anybody else in that bantamweight division right now is just going to be getting hurt. You know, he he finished Kevin Bellignon before this one, and I want to say that they said that was actually the first time that Kevin uh, Bellignon had actually been finished. I'm I'm going to look that up now just to make sure I'm correct. Kevin Bellignon. So let's let's see his record. And see if I'm correct. But I want to say that they said... So, uh, no, it was the first time he had been knocked out. Sorry. So, yeah. Uh, and John Lineker knocked him out. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, and, and Kevin Bellignon is a, a former champion. You know, was coming off a trilogy with Bibiano Fernandez. You know, he... Uh, won and unified the championship against Bibiano. Then in the next fight, got disqualified for illegal elbows. And then the next fight, got submitted with a rear naked choke. So, had three straight fights with Bibiano Fernandez. Um, and had actually lost to him a few years before that by Kimura. So, you know, that, that was his chance to rebound. And Lineker TKO'd him in the second round. First person to ever knock him out. And, you know, I, I just don't see how there's anybody else next for Lineker except Bibiano Fernandez. So I'm looking forward to that one. I think that'll be a fun fight. I would like to think that Yuya Wakamatsu versus Adriano Moraes will be next. So pretty fun uh, night for one championship and a lot to look forward to with that. So this Wednesday we have one on TNT4. So let me pull up this card for you because it's going to be a fun one. We were originally going to have Shinya Aoki versus... Um, Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt had to pull out uh, due to lingering COVID symptoms. Um, as, as somebody who, who likes Sage Northcutt and thinks he's you know, a fun kid to watch, um, I, I think that's probably the best thing that could have happened for him. That was They are putting him in there with a killer in Shinya Aoki. Instead, Shinya is now fighting Edward, Edward Foliang. Uh, you know, Foliang's got some submission losses. On his record, I believe that these two have fought before. So, yeah, he's actually lost two fights by decision. He's coming off of two decision losses. Uh, you know, he's, he got submitted by Eddie Alvarez. He, uh, before that, was submitted by Shinya Aoki. Uh, he's TKO'd Shinya before. So this is a trilogy fight with these two, I believe. And, you know, they're, they're one and one against each other. So that one will be a fun fight. That'll be on the prelims. Colby Northcutt, Sage Northcutt's sister, will be kicking off the prelims. You have a women's strawweight Muay Thai fight. The, the Muay Thai fights in one championship are always incredible. Then the main card, you've got Kirill Grishenko versus uh, Omar Rugrug Kane. You know, Rugrug is just, I talked about him recently. Almost like he's the uh, Senegalese wrestling phenom. 
almost kind of reminds me of Francis Ngannou 2.0, but with a wrestling base. You know, just big, powerful heavyweight, swinging wild punches with incredible power. So that'll be kicking off the one on TNT card. Then you've got Eddie Alvarez and Akre Yoon. Again, I'd imagine Eddie Alvarez probably used that wrestling and get it done. So Angla Unsung, the light heavyweight champion and former middleweight champion, was supposed to be defending his uh, title on this event, and he was supposed to be defending it against uh, Vitaly Big Dash. I believe this, yeah, it was going to be a trilogy battle between the two of them. Um, Big Dash uh, tested positive for COVID, so that fight is off. Um, so, Rainier de Ritter, I believe I'm pronouncing that somewhat right. I can't remember how to pronounce his first name. The middleweight champion is now stepping in and is going to be fighting Ong Lon Song on short notice for the light heavyweight title. Now, here's where this gets interesting. These two fought in October for the middleweight championship. And... Uh, De Ritter submitted Ong Long Song with a rear naked choke in three minutes and had no resistance getting there. It's hard to imagine that it's going to be a whole lot different now at light heavyweight. I am predicting for you that uh, Ong Long and Song this time last year was a two-division world champion. I predict for you that Rainier De Ritter this time next week will be a two-division world champion. Um... I believe De Ritter is going to go in and probably submit online song again, but it's going to be a very fun night. Definitely recommend you guys tune in. That's one on TNT4. So TNT, Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Don't miss it. The prelims you can find on Bleacher Report Live or on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Colby Northcott kicks off the card. And you got Shinya Aoki, Edward Foley-Yang as the main prelim. Definitely do not miss that one. All right, guys. Now let's get into what you've all been waiting for. Let's talk about... UFC 261. So the crowd was back. What an incredible night. Just, you know, hearing the crowd back. Um, you know, when you watch that main event and you hear Bruce Buffer doing the intro and the It's Time, it just gave me chills. I don't know if I'm the only one, but it gave me chills hearing it again. Obviously, it's <clears throat> going to be interesting to see what happens with COVID coming out of this. Um, you know, it. <clears throat> did not look like too many people in the crowd were wearing masks. There's not any social distancing. So I'm very curious to see what happens in the coming weeks as far as COVID goes with that event. But for one night, it was really fun. You know, we know that'll be happening again at UFC 262 and for sure at UFC 264 for McGregor Poirier, so long as everything goes well. I think if something bad comes out of this event, it's very possible that they get told no more fans. Um... <clears throat> You know, night started off great. Ariane Carnelosi defeats Na Leong with a TKO in the second round. <clears throat> Jeff Molina gets a decision win over Killing Aori. Rodrigo Vargas gets a win over Rongju by decision. Uh, Dana Batgrill defeats Kevin Natividad by TKO uh, within 50 seconds. <clears throat> I was unfortunately not able to catch the early prelims. But the main prelims kicked off with Patrick Sabatini versus Tristan Connolly. Tristan Connolly making his featherweight debut. Actually previously fought at welterweight and defeated Michelle Pajeda in that fight. So it's incredible to think that he's now fighting at featherweight when you consider how big of a welterweight <clears throat> Michelle Pajeda is and the fact that he beat him. So he's now done at featherweight. Um... <clears throat> And it was almost on cue in the first round. You know, they were talking about the, the amount of weight he's lost to get to this point. And Daniel Cormier said, you know, one thing that's going to be interesting, he took those shots at 170, but when a guy loses this much weight, something that goes away is his chin. So it'll be very, very interested to see if he can eat those punches like he did at 170. And as soon as he finishes saying that, Sabatini drops him with a short right hand to the chin. And Cormier goes, I told you. So this fight ended up going all three rounds. Uh, Sabatini controlled him on the ground for the first two rounds. You know, once he dropped him, held him down, got back control, you know, got the body triangle locked in, and Connolly couldn't do much. In the second round, Sabatini ended up using a beautiful level change and just blast double-legged him and controlled him on the ground. And then the third round, he was kind of on his bicycle, and you could tell he was pretty exhausted. Uh, Connolly started having a bit more success and got the takedown. So, you know, despite his big weight cut, um, 
Connolly, you know, he clearly was in shape. His his weight held up and his cardio held up, so that was good. Um, you know, he did lose a decision. One of the judges had it 30-27. Um, I agree with the two judges that scored at 29-28. Connolly ended up getting a takedown in the third round, controlled him for the last minute and a half. Patrick Sabatini did not do a whole lot on the feet up until that point. I believe he was very tired from the first two rounds. Great win for Sabatini, though. And then you had Brendan Allen versus Carl Roberson. Uh, in the middleweight division, you know, Carl Robeson, uh, he's, he's a great kickboxer, but he, um, as far as MMA goes, you know, he was not great as far as professional kickboxing goes, but, you know, in, in MMA, he's, he's great with his, uh, with his kickboxing. He's uh, got some submission wins in his career, but all four of his losses are by submission. He has a uh, arm triangle choke loss to Cesar Ferreira. He's got an arm triangle choke loss to Glover Teixeira, a rear naked choke loss last year to Marvin Vittori. So if there is a weakness in his game, it is when he gets on the ground. And Brendan Allen got him to the ground pretty quickly. Uh, nearly had him, mounted at, had him mounted at one point, had the legs laced, uh, like Khabib made famous, you know, controlled him on the ground, and then uh, these, they end up in a scramble, and Brendan Allen goes for the uh, ankle lock, and Carl Robeson starts kind of grabbing at Brendan Allen's ankle, and then you see Brendan Allen just torque back on that, and Carl Roberson immediately starts tapping. Great ankle lock win for Brendan Allen. The crowd went nuts. Awesome win for him. You know, Carl Roberson, I don't know how much longer he'll be in the UFC. He, uh, you know, now 2-2 two and two in his last four. He, he'll probably get, he might get another chance, uh, but I don't predict for you with his, his grappling level, he'll be too much, he'll be successful for too much longer in the UFC. For Brendan Allen, though, a great win. Uh, you know this this guy's 16 and four in his career. Um, this this was his first fight since losing to Sean Strickland by TKO last November. Uh, but you know before that he had had pretty good run in the UFC. You know had a win over Kevin Holland. You know and you know, before that he hadn't lost since 2018 in the LFA. So <clears throat> definitely has potential to work his way up in this division. Next up was a welterweight match between Stefan Sekulic versus Dwight Grant. Uh, pretty back-and-forth fight. Um, the commentators were pretty heavy on uh, Sekulic winning the fight. I believe that Dwight Grant had the second round, Sekulic the third. Uh, the first round, I'm not 100% sure on. I personally, I wasn't watching it full-on 100%, but I personally thought Dwight Grant had the edge. Uh, they thought Sekulic had the edge. It was a split decision for Dwight Grant. I might go back and rewatch that. I could be completely wrong, but I personally kind of agreed with that decision. Um, so, you know, interesting fight, very close fight. Probably could have gone either way, and you wouldn't have been wrong. So then the last fight of the prelims was uh, Dana White looking for a fight alum. Randy Brown versus Alex Cowboy Oliveira. You know, Alex Oliveira started off, and he was landing some really solid and heavy leg kicks. And... Um, was looking good early on. You know, this is this is a tough test for Randy Brown. You know, Alex Oliveira has, has lost some, won some, lost some, but this is a guy who's also beat some some higher level guys in the UFC. So, you know, definitely the biggest test. Uh, you know, well, not the biggest test, but a big test for Randy Brown. You know, coming off a knockout loss to Vicente Luque, and uh, he uh, ends up catching Rand, uh, Alex Oliveira with a right hand over the top puts him down, starts beating him up on the ground, and secures the rear naked choke. Biggest win of Randy Bounce's career by far. Huge win. Congratulations to him. You know, beat him with the, drops him with the right, and submits him on the ground. You can't ask for a better night than that. <clears throat> so, it was a great win for Randy Brown, and that was a great way to end the prelims. Now, what was interesting to me about the prelims was you had on the early prelims, you had two finishes, two decisions, and then on the preliminary card, the main prelims, you had two decisions, two finishes. Prelims, both finishes were TKOs. Uh, and then uh, the main prelims, two submissions. So very interesting as far as that goes. And now we get to the main card and what a main card it was. And what's fascinating about this main card, before I get into the results of it, not a single fight made it out of the second round. Um, the, uh, the women's flyweight fight with Shevchenko and Andrade was the longest fight of the main card, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. But first, let's start, start off by talking about Anthony, Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute. Uh, this fight ended at the end of the, the first round. It ended between rounds. But what an action-packed first round. Jimmy Crute landing heavy leg kicks, 
you know, getting getting some redness on the leg of Anthony Smith very quickly, really hurting his leg. Um, Anthony Smith landing solid jabs. Anthony looked crisp and solid on the feet. Was already starting to blacken up Jimmy Crute's eye. Was landing just landing jab after jab after jab. Anthony Smith looked great in this fight. I was very impressed with him. And then he ends up landing a leg kick, and uh, Jimmy Crute charges forward. And then Smith throws another one and hits him right in the back of the knee. <clears throat> and then you see the ankle roll, and Jimmy Crute falls. And it looked very similar to what happened with Sean O'Malley, what's happened with Henry Cejudo, and uh, Michael Chandler back at the Bellator MSG car a few years back. And uh, <clears throat> Smith got overexcited, charged in, and props to Jimmy Crute ends up blast double-legging him, which is absolutely incredible to consider when his ankle's rolling. And you can see, you know, he's, he's trying to hold him there, and Smith's working his way back up to his feet. And as Crute's standing, you can see his leg giving out. The ankle, he's got that dead leg going on. He got hit right in that nerve, right behind the knee. And uh, he keeps going. And, uh, you know, Smith gets up. He ends up getting taken down again. The round ends, and, and Crute's leg is just gone when he's walking to the corner. He, uh, he wanted to keep fighting. The doctor asked him to walk towards him. He's kind of limping towards him, but it looked like his leg was getting a little bit of strength back to him. And he's pounding his chest saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I can fight. And as he's walking backwards, his leg gives out again. Referee calls the fight. Um, very unfortunate ending to that fight, but, you know, great great placement on that kick by Anthony Smith. Jimmy Crute will definitely be back. Anthony Smith looked phenomenal in this fight. Jimmy Crute showed impressive heart, wanting to continue. Said he was going to go out and start round two by pulling guard. You know, so he was, he was committed to trying to make sure he could stay in this fight. But they did the right thing, in my opinion, though. All it takes is Anthony Smith lands a kick on that leg while he's hobbling. You could have a very potential serious injury. I don't imagine we'll be seeing an immediate rematch between these two. This was very similar to the Sean O'Malley-Marlon Vera fight. And what I found interesting and ironic about this, <clears throat> for those of you who follow Brennan Shaw, Brennan Shaw's food truck diaries this week, they were talking about that fight with Sean O'Malley. And they were kind of revisiting that. And Sean O'Malley said, you know, I was kind of mad with Joe Rogan in my last fight because he kept saying, you know, oh, you know, like, uh, Marlon Vera did that with the kick, he did it with the kick. He said, but that's not true. It was just a freak thing. You know, you, he says this happens all the time, but it never happens. Name one time it's happened since me. And uh, the week as he says that, the week after that airs, this happens. So extremely ironic. Hopefully Sean O'Malley understands now. Yes, that was the kick that caused that. Um, <clears throat> hopefully Jimmy Crute's leg is okay. And uh, definitely look forward to seeing him back. I I'm not sure who he'll be thrown in there against next. You know, it's not like he took such a devastating loss that he loses a lot of stock from this. But I don't know that he necessarily moves forward. Looking at the rankings at light heavyweight um, and thinking about who is matched up right now. So looking at light heavyweight, you know, Dominic Reyes and Yuri Prochaska are fighting uh, ahead of Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, um, Yuri Prochaska at number five. Tiago Santos at number four, Reyes at number three, Rakic at number two, Glover at number one. So Glover is fighting uh, Jan Blahovic. I'm not sure what they're doing with Alexander Rakic, but he already has the three-round nothing win over Anthony Smith, so I don't predict that one next. You know, Reyes and Prochaska are fighting. I could maybe see a rematch between Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith as an interesting fight. You know, Anthony Smith, it's a chance to get back up into the top five, Tiago Santos, it's a chance to get some momentum going again. You know, he's, he's got two straight losses, so he definitely needs to get some momentum back. For for Jimmy Crute, you know, there's there's some interesting options out there. You could potentially do Ryan Spann. You could do Johnny Walker, uh, Nikita Krylov, Volkanos Demir. There's, there's a few fights you could do for him. So, <clears throat> you know, I look forward to seeing what we do with him next as well. I was very impressed with him and the fact that he wanted to keep going into this fight. <sighs> so now let's get into the uh, the unfortunate moment of the evening, uh, and that is Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. So this is a rematch from before these guys were ever in the UFC. Weidman uh, knocked him out, got him with a TKO on the feet, ended up becoming a world champion. You know, Uriah Hall has had an up-and-down career since then, but is starting to break into the top ten. And uh, this is a chance for him to get the biggest win of his career outside of the Anderson Silva fight and really redeem that loss. This fight was so important to him for Weidman. It's a chance to break back into the top ten, and he wants to make one last run of the title. He said on Ariel Hawani's show earlier in the week that his goal was four more fights. He's going to win this fight, 
win one more fight, get the title fight, win that, defend it, and then retire. Um, so this fight starts off, and uh, they're moving around. And then Weidman ends up throwing a leg kick, goes for the calf kick. Um, Uriah Hall does defense of turning his knee out and pushing it forward to check it. Um, and uh, Chris Weidman's leg snapped on impact. It looked pretty much exactly like the Anderson Silva fight. Um, he stepped back on that weight and put his on his leg and put his weight on that foot and it just folded over. He immediately screamed out and dropped to the ground. Uh, the fight's over in 17 seconds. That was the very first strike thrown in the entire fight. Um, Chris Weidman put out a, a video this morning, um, you know, just thanking everyone for the love and support he's received. He said uh, it'd be about eight weeks till he's allowed to walk without crutches. <clears throat> and then they told him anywhere between six to 12 months before he's able to train again. You know, he said it's it's going to be a long process, but he he says he'll be back. <clears throat> I, I would not be surprised uh, if that is the last time we see Chris Weidman. Uh, I, I really hope it's not. That would be a devastating end to his career. Uh, you know, uh, a former world champion, Chris Weidman was, has been an incredible fighter. You know, Anthony Smith was at the press conference as this fight happened. <clears throat> And uh, was devastated. He said he's trained with Chris Weidman. And he said, my, my takeaway from training with him was, I can't believe this guy's ever lost. Um, he said after training with him that Chris Weidman is the best fighter he's ever trained with. And it just blew him away that he's ever lost. So he's absolutely devastated. Uh, I believe the entire MMA community is. You never want to see this. Uh, it is it, in a very sick and twisted irony. Very cruel irony of the sport. Um, Chris Weidman was the opponent of Anderson Silva when Anderson Silva broke his leg and now seven years later snaps his leg in a fight and uh, if you want to add even more to it Chris Weidman was the first person to defeat Anderson Silva in the UFC and ended up snapping his leg in half against the last person to defeat Anderson Silva in the UFC so <clears throat> just just truly unfortunate um, this is not something I enjoyed talking about, uh, not something I necessarily wanted to go out of my way to watch, but uh, unfortunately kind of had to watch it for this podcast, um, and I'm praying for a speedy recovery for Chris. My, my thoughts are going out to him and his family in this time. Uh, Anderson Silva released a statement about that and pretty much said, you know, <clears throat> keep your head up, you know, I'm praying for you and this and that. You know, it's it's... Just very unfortunate, and then on the other side, I, I feel terrible for Uriah Hall. This fight meant so much for him, to him, and to you know win it in this way is just not something you'll ever want. He handled it with pure class. I believe we will be seeing Uriah Hall again very soon, hopefully. Um, <clears throat> mentally, he may want to break. You know, Uriah Hall is <clears throat> even with knockout wins, has always kind of emotionally took them so. Uh, I can only imagine how he's feeling after this, but I could see us maybe getting a rematch with him and Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, maybe he'll get the uh, the winner of Jack Hermanson and Edmund Shabazian. I think that'd be an interesting one for him. <clears throat> I Yeah, but just an unfortunate one um, that we had to watch. So moving on, um, Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade for the women's strawweight belt. <clears throat> This fight went pretty much exactly as I thought it was going to. You know, Andrade is probably one of the tougher tests for um, Shevchenko in this division, which is not saying much. Um, Shevchenko just put it on her on the feet, got her to the ground, just basically threw her to the ground like a rag doll, controlled her in the first round, just beat her up. You know, second round comes out, gets her back down to the ground, controls her, dominates her, you know, and just better than her in every area. Uh, gets her to the ground, and then actually um, gets the mounted crucifix, starts elbowing her, and, and there's just absolutely nothing that Andrade could do. Referee ends up having to stop the fight due to TKO, due to elbows from mounted crucifix. You know, absolutely brutal way to defeat somebody. Great win for Valentina Shevchenko. And she said in the post-fight press conference, you know, or post-fight interview, you know, uh, I, I love that these girls keep trying to find my weaknesses because don't even bother. There isn't any. And, you know, realistically watching her, I don't know that she does have any weaknesses. She'll beat, she beats people on the ground. She beats them on the feet. 
it's it's kind of hard to say that, oh, yeah, this is where the weak area of her game is. You know, even in her losses to Amanda Nunes, you know, there wasn't a lot of weaknesses. They were very close fights. Um, Shevchenko is just absolutely clearing out this division on all fronts. I look at this division, and, you know, I try and find an interesting fight for uh, Shevchenko next. And realistically, you know, we've got Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes as official. I believe Nunes will get through that one. And I, I think the only appealing fight left for either of them after Nunes beats Juliana Pena is we've got to have the third fight between Shevchenko and Amanda Nunes. You know, that second fight was so close. Could have been scored either way. I personally had Shevchenko winning it. <clears throat> I believe that that's the only fight that makes sense for either one of them next. And uh, I believe that fight determines the true women's GOAT. Whoever wins that is the women's GOAT. Um, but Im impressive, dominant performance by Shevchenko, as always. You know, there's there's not a whole lot I can say about her. Th this, this performance by her was just as incredible as I expected. And uh, props to her. You know, feel bad for Andrade, but... <clears throat> You know, that just seems to be what happens when you fight Valentina Shevchenko. So next up was the Women's Strawweight Championship fight between Rose Namajunas, the former champion, and the current champion Zhang Weili. You know, Zhang Weili coming off of the fight of the year and the greatest women's fight of all time with Joanna Jacek. Um, you know, Rose coming off the win on Fight Island last year where she avenged her loss to Jessica Andrade. Um, is 2-0 against Joanna Jacek herself. So this is the battle of the two best strawweights in the world. I, I predicted before this fight, I, I love Rose, I never root against her. I predicted we were going to get a fight of the night out of this, but I had Zhang Weili winning it. Um, <clears throat> you know, the fight introduction start, and Rose is in the corner as Bruce Buffer is introducing her and just repeatedly saying, I'm the best, I'm the best. Um, just repeating that to herself over and over again. These two come out. And uh, they're, they're trading leg kicks and punches. And, uh, you know, Rose throwing some good leg kicks early on. And uh, about a minute into the fight, throws a head kick and puts Whaley down. Just a crisp, one of the crispest and fastest head kicks you'll ever see. Drops her, follows up with some ground and pound strikes, and the fight is called. Knockout due to head kick. One minute, 18 seconds of the very first round. Incredible win for Rose Namajunas. That is the best straw weight in the world right there. Um, not at all how I expected this fight to go. I was expecting a long, drawn-out war. You know, Zhang Weili was very upset when she stood up. She was yelling at Keith Peterson. She was saying no. Uh, but it was a very justified stoppage. She even said in her post-fight interview she felt like she was conscious and that it was an early stoppage. But... Um, <clears throat> She was she was very clearly done. This fight was over. Rose Namajunas moved to tears. Very emotional post-fight interview. Um, <clears throat> Joe Rogan, if you haven't seen the, the reaction of Joe Rogan at the broadcast booth, definitely look that up. It was absolutely meme-worthy. But I loved it in the interview. Uh, Joe Rogan says, you know, you kept repeating to yourself, I'm the best. I'm the best. <clears throat> Gives the mic to Rose and she goes, I am the best. It was just absolutely incredible performance by Rose Namajunas. Uh, as far as what's next for her, you know, I know Joanna was saying that she wanted to fight the winner, but <clears throat> I think it's going to be very difficult to um, to sell a fight with her and Rose Namajunas. You know, Rose has beaten her twice, once by knockout, once by decision. You know, you got Jan Jonan versus Carla Esparza. I'd imagine that the winner of that will be getting the title fight next. And I would love to see a rematch between Joanna and um, Zhang Weili. And if Joanna wins that, then you know I could understand giving her a title fight. I could also see maybe doing Mackenzie Dern versus Joanna. You know, it just depends on what you want to do. But <clears throat> Mackenzie Dern is out there as a potential contender. It just depends on when uh, Zhang Weili is going to be back. But I, I think Joanna calling for an immediate title fight next um, just seems a bit absurd to me. And the reason I say that is if you look at Joanna's record, now granted she's, you know, one of the greatest strawweights of all time and was a dominant champion in this division. But, you know, looking at her record, in her last six fights, she has lost to Rose Namajunas twice, lost to Valentina Shevchenko, and lost to Zhang Weili. Her two wins are Tisha Torres and Michelle Watterson. Looking at the rankings for that division, Tisha Torres, number 10, Michelle Watterson, number 9. So... 
Joanna Jojacek does not have a win over anybody in the top five in years. Her only top five win is Carla Esparza, and that was way back in, uh, what was that, 2014, 2015 when she won the belt? Yeah, so 2015 was her last win over a current top five opponent in Carla Esparza. Now, that's not to say that she wouldn't have won, wouldn't win the rematch, but my, my point being that there's nothing that says Joanna deserves a title fight. Just because you were a dominant champion in the past does not mean that you can be 2-4 and four in your last six, losing your last fight and deserve a title fight. I, I think Joanna needs to do a lot to earn a title fight now that she does have two losses to the current champion. So I'd imagine uh, Jan Jonan, Carlos Barza winner, will be next for Rose Namajunas. I've seen people asking if Zhang should get an immediate rematch. There's absolutely no way that should be a thing. You know, she had one title defense and got knocked out in the first round. Uh, immediate title fight rematch is not warranted in this case. Great win for Rose Namajunas, best draw weight in the world. You know, potential will be the best draw weight of all time at this rate. <clears throat> so now's the main event. Full camp Jorge Masvidal versus the champion Kamaru Usman. So the big narrative heading into this fight was that Masvidal's had a full camp this time. What difference will it make? I attested that I didn't think it would make any difference. I know I said that on the podcast. I didn't think this fight should be made. Um, early in the first round, Usman was landing some powerful shots, and Masvidal was just laughing them off. Ends up landing a flying knee at one point, but Usman just grabs him and slams him to the ground from it. And, you know, it looked like we were going to be getting a repeat of the last fight. Usman was getting to the ground whenever he wanted. Masvidal was landing some good leg kicks uh, throughout the fight, but Usman was just, you know, throwing him down at will. First round. Second round, they come out, and they're trading shots. And, again, Usman lands a few good punches, and Masvidal puts his hands at his waist and starts laughing at him. And uh, goes to throw a right-hand-left hook combo, and Usman comes over the top of the right hand, and for the first time in Masvidal's career, knocks him out cold, follows up with powerful hammer fists on the ground. The visual of that was just incredible. You know, Masvidal's body on the way down literally folded over. You saw the sweat in the water from his water bottle that he sprayed on his head go flying everywhere. It was just an incredible win for Kamara Usman. We already know what's next for Kamara Usman. Kamara Usman is going to be fighting Colby Covington next. For Kamara Usman, this man is getting better with every single fight. Imagine if the, when this fight first happened. If you would have told people, Kamara Usman is going to beat him standing. People would have thought you were crazy. I, who predicted Kamara was going to win this fight, would have called you crazy for saying Kamara was going to win this fight standing. You know, since he won the title, he is every opponent he's faced. Now, granted, he had the decision over Masvidal, but every opponent he's faced, not every fight he's had, but every opponent he's faced, he's won by TKO or knockout. TKO'd Colby Covington and broke his jaw. <clears throat> decision over Masvidal, TKO's Gilbert Burns, and then knocks out Masvidal in the rematch. He's knocked out all three of the opponents that he's had since winning the title. This guy is just incredible. He's getting better with every fight, and you... It's really terrifying to see it at this level with a guy who is already a dominant champion. Because when you look at the rankings for the welterweight division, the only person in the top five that Kamar Usman has not fought is, Gil is uh, Stephen Thompson. He's fought and beat Colby Covington. He's fought and beat Gilbert Burns. He's fought and beat Leon Edwards. And he's fought and beat Jorge Masvidal twice. Stephen Thompson's fighting Gilbert Burns. I'd imagine the winner of that will be next for the winner of Kamara Usman and Colby Covington. Covington is definitely the toughest um, fight for Kamara Usman. But just looking at the improvements that Kamara Usman has made, it's very difficult for me to see Colby Covington beating him. I do believe he will still be his toughest fight. But I imagine we'll get probably another TKO slash knockout victory for Kamara Usman. I'll be honest, despite the rib injury, I was not overly impressed with Colby Covington's last fight compared to usual. He was very reserved um, in his output compared to usual. <clears throat> you know, he, he ended up winning due to a rib injury, which granted he did that, he probably caused that with the body strikes and the takedowns, but his output, he was very tentative in his last fight compared to his other career fights. So I'm curious how that one will go. I'd imagine we'll be getting Kamara Usman and still, and you know, there's talks that Kamara Usman has already surpassed GSP as the welterweight GOAT. I disagree with that. I don't believe he's quite surpassed him just yet. Level of opponents, yes, he's probably been facing higher level opponents his entire career. However, I don't believe he's surpassed him yet, and I will, but I will say 
I do believe with another one over Colby Covington. And should Stephen Thompson beat Gilbert Burns and he beats Stephen Thompson, you know, maybe he has to fight Leon again. He beats Leon. If he continues clearing out this division, Kamaru Usman has the potential to surpass GSP as the welterweight goat. And this is somebody who, GSP is one of my favorite fighters of all time. I idolized him as a teenager and even still to this day. But the reason I would say that is the way that Usman is beating people. You know, GSP was beating people in one set of fights. He was winning decisions. But look at how, look at Usman. He's finishing people and he's getting better each time. It is hard to say that if Usman starts finishing people at this level and is this far ahead of people to the point where he's finishing them and is dominating them at the same time, it's going to be hard to say he's not the goat of this division if this continues for a long time to come. All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week's show. It was an incredible week for the mixed martial arts world. Yuri Prochaska and Dominic Reyes this weekend. Make sure you tune into that. Tune into One on TNT, Four on Wednesday for Angla and Song and DeRitter. And I will see you guys next Monday for another episode of the Monday Morning Mean Event. Until next time, have a great week.